All right, if you would, turn in the Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I've been wanting, and we're going to do it tonight, we're going to look at evangelism, personal evangelism, witnessing, sharing the gospel with people, talking to people about Jesus. We're going to look at it tonight from the word evangelist, somebody who does evangelism. The Apostle Paul, missionary to the Gentiles, wrote 13 of the New Testament letters. Many of his letters are to churches. A few of them are directly to people. Most specifically, Timothy is known as Paul's young protege. He mentored him. He taught him. He discipled him. Paul poured his life out into Timothy, and God raised up Timothy to be a faithful witness and pastor, elder, uh, according to the Bible and the truth of God for the glory of God and the witness to Jesus. You've got 1 Timothy and you've got 2 Timothy. And chapter four is the end of 2 Timothy. And clearly, Paul is speaking about some heavy things. Chapter three is where he speaks to that scripture is inspired by God, breathed out of the mouth of God. And then we get to chapter four, and let's begin reading. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. So stop there for a second. I mean, this sometimes when you read this, you kind of miss out on it. This is a pretty intense letter where Paul is truly urging and exhorting and pushing young Timothy to take the torch, all right? Go make your life count for Jesus, right? Paul is old. He's at the end of his life. It's time for Timothy to go and serve the Lord. And that's what he's saying. And he says, I charge you, preach the word. Verse two, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, that's sad, isn't it? That is a sad reality. People will turn away from sound teaching, what the Bible says, and they will find somebody that teaches in a way that tickles or itches their ears that will suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth. Turn away from that. They will wander off into myths. Paul's telling that to Timothy. And his answer to that is just keep preaching the word. This is the answer. Verse five, as for you, Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now look at verse six. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
You could even say these are Paul's famous last words. This is the older, dignified, godly, experienced, wise man saying his final, most important words with depth and meaning to young Timothy. So it means a lot. And there in verse five, in the midst of those eight verses that we just read, he says, do the work of an evangelist. Did everybody see that? Do the work of an evangelist. And that is what I want us to study tonight. And I hope that you will be blessed and strengthened by this. I hope in short that you will leave out of here tonight to some degree saying, I too need to do the work of an evangelist. I need to find somebody to talk to. And when God does open doors, I need to have boldness. This week on Wednesday morning and on Thursday morning, we saw Peter and John and those early believers in Acts chapter four under persecution pray specifically that God would make them more bold. They were asked by the leaders, the government, to no longer speak in the name of Jesus. And their response was, God, give us more boldness to speak more about the name of Jesus. And tonight, I'm hoping that you, on this uh, sermon tonight, based off of evangelism and the work of an evangelist, that you too will pray for boldness, that you too will speak up and talk to somebody about Jesus. God will use it, we know. So he tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Now this word's rare in the New Testament. This word is only three times in the Bible. Evangelist, only three times in the Bible. It's here, it's in the book of Acts, and it's in Ephesians 4.11. So I want you to turn there, Ephesians 4.11. You probably knew this one, at least to some degree. If you don't recall it, once I read it, you'll remember it. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. There's the word evangelist, right? In verse 11, you saw that? Now, the interesting thing here is that it really, really does sound like this is a leadership type of position, an office, if you will. It sounds like it here. Because the people in verse 11 are leaders in the church to equip the saints, which are all believers in the church, to do the work of the ministry. According to the New Testament, who does the work of the ministry? Believers. The saints, and that's exactly what it says there in verse 12. So in verse 11, you have this list of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers that are to equip the saints, okay? And evangelists are there. Now, it's a good discussion, one that there has been lots written on and trying to figure out, is an evangelist an office? Is it actually like a title or is it more like, more like just a gifting? I don't know, and I didn't come here tonight to get you to uh, determine hard edge what you think about that, right? It's definitely a gifting, 
okay? It's definitely like a spiritual gift, and some people are strengthened of speaking to people about Jesus. But like we say, with all spiritual gifts, and also like we say, with all five love, lang- five love languages, even if you don't have the gift, you're supposed to be doing it, right? I mean, we say this in premarital counseling all the time, all right? Hey, just because your gift might be quality, just because, you're, just because your spiritual gift might be giving gifts or words of affirmation, it doesn't mean you're not allowed to spend quality time with them, all right? You need to understand that. Now, you may be better at some of the others, and same way goes with spiritual gifts. You can't tell me that you've got the gift of prayer and so you don't have to be compassionate, right? You can't tell me that you've got the gift of hospitality but that you don't have to give or you don't have to be an evangelist, all right? So evangelism is at least a spiritual gift that we're all supposed to be doing, whether it's actually a leadership position in the church. You know, I don't know. It sounds like it here according to verse 11. It does. But I don't know if that's enough to say that. Now, now would be a good time for us to admit that over the last 100 years in this country, there have been lots of people known as evangelists, right? And I would imagine that those of you that are older and have been in the church for a long time, y'all know people who said, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a Sunday school teacher, I'm not an elder, I'm not a deacon, I'm an evangelist. And you probably know people that say that. So those are people who are identifying verse 11 and saying, no, that's what I am. Not necessarily a prophet. I'm not a shepherd. I'm not a teacher. I'm definitely not an apostle because there's only 12 of those. But I'm an evangelist. That's what God has called me to do, and that's what I do, right? And you know, in, in a lot of ways, that, that's, that's kind of fading out. You don't hear that as much anymore. And I'm saying that's kind of the question. But we'll let, we have lots of pastors here now, and we'll let Josh Womble and those other guys answer exactly if evangelist is an officer position in the church, okay? But I want to show you something now that you've heard that. So I said there's only three of them in the New Testament, right? 2 Timothy 4, 5, where Paul tells him to, and Ephesians 4, 11, where he says they are for equipping the saints in ministry. The other one, okay, is Acts 21. And this is where it gets really good. All of that stuff was just to, to get you ready for this. This is where it gets really good. Acts 21. Paul is on his missionary travels, going around, preaching the gospel. And look at verse seven. Acts 21, seven. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, now verse eight's our key verse. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. All right, well now... We have a mention in scripture. It's the only other one. This is the third time. And Philip is known. He has this title as the evangelist. So maybe it is more like a position or office. Or maybe that's just his reputation. I don't know. But you see it mentioned there. Now here's where this gets really good. It's going to rock your world. It says they went to Philip's house, Philip the evangelist's house, who was one of the seven. What does that mean? Does anybody know? What does it mean he was one of the seven? Seven what? 
And not disciples, because there were 12 of those. All right, chapter six, more than that. I didn't say where, I said what. I'm trying to bait you into this. I didn't say where, I said what. Okay, I knew that y'all would say that. But that's the very thing that separated the disciples from the deacons that they weren't evangelists, right? So this is where this gets really good. Turn to Acts chapter six. That's why I was hoping that people would be here tonight so they could actually get into a, a Bible study where we dig through some things. Turn to Acts chapter six. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12, that's the disciples, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Does everybody see that? They chose Philip. And that's the Philip he's talking about. That's Philip the evangelist. There's only three mentions of evangelist, and one of them is Acts 21.8, where this guy Philip is known as the evangelist, which that's interesting, isn't it? Because isn't this whole thing of the seven right here so that there could be certain people in the position to preach the word and pray or do ministry, if you will, while these people over here serving food and literally serving tables like it says to widows so that the people who do the ministry of the word would do that? Isn't that really what that is? Now, the interesting thing about this, and that's why I said what, not where, and Jake said Acts 6, but when I said what, a couple of people said deacons, is that we almost always mention this passage right here as deacons, but it does not say that they were deacons, and that's a whole other conversation. They certainly are put into position to act like deacons, but they're not called deacons, all right? And that's not that big of a deal. Deacons are implemented later on for sure, and we know what a deacon is. We're not confused about deacons at all, so that's not that big of a deal. But the point here is that Philip was one of the ones chosen to serve tables and serve food so the other people could do the ministry of the word. And he's also known as the evangelist. He's even called that in 21. Well, that's a point that shows us everybody should be doing evangelism. If you have the good news, you should be sharing the good news. If you have found living water, you should be sharing the living water. If you have found eternal life, you should be helping others find eternal life. If you're going to heaven, you should be doing everything you can to get other people to go to heaven with you, all right? So let's look at this. Philip is an evangelist. Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Ephesians says churches have evangelists all right? So what is an evangelist? Well, Philip is an awesome case study, and that's what we're going to do with the rest of our time tonight. Turn to chapter 8. We have two great, great examples of what Philip did. When you leave out of here tonight, I want you to do the work of an evangelist, although we know that Paul told that to Elder Timothy, but we still want to do evangelism. So Philip doing evangelism, being evangelistic, 
Chapter eight gives us a great example, picture, actually two of them, okay? All right, chapter eight of the book of Acts, verse four. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So let's stop there for just a second. Already what they were doing in chapter six, right, serving food has been disrupted, they've been scattered, and in their scattering, they're all a witness. We can't miss that, okay? Remember, that was just chapter six where he was chosen to serve tables. Now they're all scattered, and in their scattered, Philip here is going as a witness. Verse five, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Philip, Samaria, proclaiming Christ. Now, don't miss that that's exactly the very wording we use in our church's mission statement on the front of your bulletin. We exist to proclaim Jesus. We absolutely, as members of this church, as a body of Christ, can do exactly what Philip is doing right here. We can go anywhere and talk to somebody else about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. You absolutely can. There is no reason why you aren't talking to people about Jesus. Now, we have excuses, but we can. And I would encourage you before it's too late, before your days run out, before their days run out, that we would be more bold, like Acts 4 prayed for, that we would proclaim Christ, that we would actually do what our church's mission statement is. That's what Philip does here. Verse six, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Now, I know you think that when you talk to somebody about Jesus, they're not gonna pay attention. And that's why we don't. We're scared about it, aren't we? We're scared about it. Yesterday, I had to drive all the way to Breckenridge County to do the burial for Miss Frida Woods. It was way out there. I had to go through Irvington, Kentucky, if y'all know where that is. Wasn't that far, it was about an hour, it was about 60 miles to the, to the, to the, to the grave. It was a really nice cemetery, I was, I was glad to be there. But I didn't really plan my day right because the funeral started at noon, I had to be at the funeral home at 11. Next thing you know, it's like 3.30, I'm driving back, I hadn't had breakfast or lunch, that was a bad, that was a bad deal. So I was hungry, and so right there in Irvington, I pulled over to IGA, there was a little subway there, it was really nice. And when I went inside that subway, it was a really, really nice subway. But there was just one man in there working by himself, and there was nobody in there. He was just sitting down with the drive through headset on, on his phone. And when I walked in, of course, I've been thinking about this a whole lot, and I'm, I just left a grave, you know, that's as serious as ever. I just watched somebody get placed into the dirt. When I walked in there, it was like, I, I, I don't say God spoke to me, because God speaks through the word, but I knew God wanted me to bring up Jesus to this guy. I knew it. I was the only person in there. He was the only person in there. There were no coworkers or anything. It was just us in there. So I ordered my sub and I sat down and he stayed on his, after he wasn't making my sandwich, he stayed on his phone the entire time. And I just started getting nervous. I started like getting, turning cowardly and I didn't know what to say. And I'm thinking, yeah, what do you do? How do you, how do you just start up a Jesus conversation in the subway? I, I, I didn't really know what to do. He wasn't saying anything at all. I didn't know what to do. And so I went over there and I said, hey man, that was a great sandwich. I tried to small talk him. I said, man, that was a great sandwich. He said, thanks man, I try. <laughs> I said, yeah, it was good. 
He kept on his phone. I said, man, I'm, I'm from Louisville. Uh, I've never been all the way out here before. I got a long drive still ahead of me. He said, yeah, Louisville's pretty far away. I said, yeah. I said, well, the reason why I'm down here, though, is because I just came back from a funeral out here. He's like, oh, man, yeah, man, I'm sorry to hear about that. I said, yeah, you ever think about dying? He said, no, just like that. No, I don't ever think about dying. I just felt so much like God wanted me to. I said, yeah, most people don't think about dying. I said, but if you do think about dying, know this. Jesus is the answer to it. Jesus died for your death. And he's the answer to your dying. It's important, man. I really want you to know that. I said, I need to get back to Louisville and, and I'm gonna keep going. When I got in the car, I, I felt like I did what God wanted me to do. I also felt like more could have been said. Uh, it, it was a little bit of an awkward conversation, but I was sensing the urgency. I was sensing this is what God wants us to do. But what was in my mind was, will he pay attention? Is he gonna care? What will he think? Will he laugh? Will he say, get out of here? How will he, how will he receive it? But the Bible describes evangelism, listen to this, the Bible describes evangelism, and you know this, as a farmer that's sowing seeds. That's how Jesus describes evangelism, which means I don't know how he received it. I have no idea what God is doing right now in that person's heart and mind with those seeds. He very well may have paid attention, and right here in verse six, it says, they were paying attention to Philip. They were paying attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much, much joy in that city. Okay, so we see that the Holy Spirit is working there. We've talked about that a lot at our church. The Holy Spirit's working there through their ministry, and that's why we see that going, see that going on in, in the apostles. Well, after that, what happens is you've got this man, Simon, who is a magician, who, so to speak, believes. Keep reading. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Look at this though, verse 12. But when they believed Philip, hear that, they believed Philip, the evangelist, the one who speaks up about Jesus, the one who proclaims Christ. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now the rest of the story about Simon is they didn't have the Holy Spirit and he tries to buy the Holy Spirit from them and that's really an ugly scene and so then he gets rebuked and all of that and we don't know the rest about what happens to Simon. That's just a part of that. But what I want you to see is that Philip is an evangelist and we see right here in Acts chapter eight what Philip does. He proclaims Christ. People pay attention. People believe what he says. Does everybody see that? Philip the evangelist proclaims Christ. People pay attention. People believe what he says. May God give us that. 
May we desire that. May we be prayed up on that. May we be bold and prayerful that that works, that God does that. And may we do what Philip did, the work of an evangelist. Exactly what Paul was telling Timothy to do. But there's another one. Also in chapter eight, the Ethiopian eunuch. And this one is probably more familiar. Look at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? Now, there's a lot that could be said right here about Philip the evangelist. There's a real sense, listen to me, where being an evangelist could be minimized or downplayed or convinced or condensed, sorry, that it could be condensed into somebody who just knows the right things to say if the door were ever open for them. That's not evangelism. Let's don't minimize it or downplay it to that. Somebody doing evangelism is praying and being led by the Spirit and looking for opportunities, even creating opportunities to speak this Christ who is the Savior of the world, knowing the urgency. Philip was led by the Spirit. When he was led by the Spirit, the Bible says here that he ran, ran over to this opportunity, that there was a sense of urgency, and he inquires. We have a man over here reading the Bible. And he could have left well enough alone, couldn't he? He could have just said, no, they're, they're, he's probably all right. He's reading his Bible. I'm sure he's a Christian. No, he was lost as can be. He did not know Jesus, but he was reading the Bible. He had traveled to Jerusalem to worship, but he was lost. He didn't know Jesus. And so Philip goes, led by the Spirit, in haste and says, what you reading? He engages him. He is intentional. He seeks him out. He's doing the work of an evangelist. He's believing these conversations have to happen. He's pushing the envelope. He's, listen to me, he's embracing the awkward. He is. A man in his chariot reading his Bible, and he runs up to him and says, what you reading? Why? Because he's doing what God wants him to do, because he knows that God saves people. We've got to believe this same way. We've got to believe in evangelism like this. But it gets better, verse 29. Sorry, verse 31. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he's reading from Isaiah the prophet, verse 31. And he said, how, how can I unless someone guides me? Now, I know that our evangelism, our evangelism experiences aren't as cake as this. They're not as throwing a softball up to them as much as this. I know that. This is an evangelist dream, right? And you're thinking, listen to me, you may be thinking, well, I would have preached Jesus too if I ever had that situation pop up. But remember what I just said about how Philip was the one seeking the Lord, in tune with the Spirit, running to the situation, and asking the question. 
Maybe if we asked more questions, we'd get more softballs. Maybe if we ran to situations, we'd have more opportunities. Maybe if we engaged people more with what they're doing, then we would have more chances. And all of this is part of being evangelistic. How can I understand Isaiah unless somebody tells me? That's good. Okay, well, let's look what he does. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a, slant, like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Y'all, that is Isaiah 53. That is Jesus that Isaiah is talking about. Jesus is the lamb who was killed for us according to the Old Testament. Jesus is the lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. God gave his son for us. That's what he was reading. And Philip, because of all that has just taken place, is now in position. Verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And there we have the simplicity of evangelism. He told him the good news about Jesus. He told him the good news about Jesus. I got to coach. I'm coaching three basketball teams right now. It started yesterday. There's no basketball going on, no school basketball, no Fairdale Youth League basketball going on. There's nothing going on. So we searched far and wide to try to find some. We searched far and wide to try to find some basketball leagues, and we found Highview Baptist Church is doing theirs. They don't practice, they just do games on Saturday. It is very, very basic. So Carolina's playing basketball for the very, very first time ever. Noah's playing, and JJ and Eli are on the same team, middle school age. And so I asked the guy, like, hey, if I got kids on three different age groups, can I coach them all? And he said, yeah. Y'all, don't, don't feel like I'm getting overwhelmed or extending myself too far. It is nothing, okay? It's no practices. It's just Saturday morning. It's easy, easy thing, and I like doing it. Well, after I signed up to coach, he said this. Hey, we're, we're glad you signed up to coach, and we know that you're a pastor, but the coaches have to do a devotional with the team every, every week. So I thought, okay. And they passed out a devotion. It was on like how you're supposed to think about practice. But I sat down with the teams yesterday three different times. And I had the opportunity. And I said, you know what? This is our first time together yesterday. I'm gonna tell them my story. And so I shared the gospel with them about how when I was a kid, People came to my house and preached the gospel. We went and visited church and they preached the gospel and God saved my soul. And I told them that. Yesterday in all, there were 12 kids on the first team, 10 kids on the second team, and nine kids on the third team. What's that? 30 some kids that I got to share the good news with. And I want you all to know that I was thinking about this is the very thing God tells us to do. I was glad to be willing to coach because it's an opportunity to share the gospel. Of course, I could have given them a small devotional that just said, hey, hey, go home and practice and practice hard and God will be worshiped in it, you know, something like that. But I was able to tell them about Jesus saving me. And Philip here, 
goes, prays, follows the Spirit, asks a question, gets invited, and shares the good news about Jesus. I wanna challenge you tonight to be an evangelist, to do the work of evangelism. We're all different. Some of us talk so much that you'll hit 10 people this week and have an opportunity. Some of y'all are uh, interacting so little that it'll be hard to find somebody. But I wanna challenge you to do it. Take the conversation a step further. Ask people what they're reading. Ask them if they understand. Ask them if you can tell them. Ask them if they ever think about dying so that you can tell them about Jesus. And let's believe, just like Philip the evangelist, that God will use it. We're gonna pray tonight that God will make us bold to do it. We're gonna pray tonight that God will create people that will pay attention to what we're saying. And we're gonna pray tonight that there will be people that believe what we say about Jesus. I wanna challenge you to be evangelistic. I don't necessarily mean walk the streets and knock on every door and tell them, I don't. I just mean that, you know what, maybe you've got a friend that you haven't talked to in a while. Maybe you've got somebody in your house that you need to have a conversation with about their salvation. We need to help people come to know Jesus. And we do that by being evangelistic. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this short study on the word evangelist. 2 Timothy 4, 5, Ephesians 4, 11, and Acts 21, 8. Philip, the evangelist. And then we see him. And Father, if Philip was a deacon, then that just makes this study all the more fantastic. He led people to Christ with his evangelism. Father, we pray that you would make us bold to talk about Jesus. God, we pray that you would give us opportunities this week and people that would listen to us and pay attention to us. And we pray, God, by your grace, that there would be people who believe. God, give us this grace and favor. And we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank y'all for being here tonight. You're dismissed. Hey, do me a favor. If you do talk to somebody about Jesus this week, be sure to let us know, all right? Thank you. Have a good night.